Hello, coders. Welcome to episode 178 of the How to Code Well podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about static APIs. What are they? How do we create one? Why are they better in some respects than dynamic APIs? And how am I going to introduce these into the How to Code Well .net platform. Before we talk about that, though, let's dive into the changelog because a few things have happened uh, recently regarding howtocodewell.net and the code quiz API, and we'll start with that. So last week I mentioned we have the open API generator working on the code quiz platform. This is that mono repo thing. I've, I've talked about this every episode. Every weekday I've been doing a a code quiz on both Twitter and Instagram. And this will be the mono repo that eventually stores all of those quiz questions. And the open API generator is an NPM package that I've installed on this uh, code quiz mono repo. And it allows me to use the API in the Symphony 6 backend, I guess you would call it, as the single source of truth. We're using the API platform and we're using the entities as a way of describing the API responses and or hooking into, I should say, the API platform's um, mechanics of how to create these API responses, how to deal with relationships and how to deal with collections and, and all sorts of different types of incoming requests. Anywho, that has a export function so we can run an export command and that will output the open api specification in yaml so that's the back end side of it sorted the front end side of it is the api client now this is a typescript client and it's using the open api generator which is an npm package to generate typescript code off of the back of this yaml specification the open api specification and it's working brilliantly. It's working, working brilliantly. So what happens is I go and make a change in the Symfony entities. So let's say for instance, instance, I want to have a new entity or a new property on an entity. And then what I do is I export that, that YAML documentation. And then on the API client side, I then generate the open API TypeScript module and that actually creates TypeScript code that I can then hook into. And the API client will be used in the website and the mobile app to then connect to the API. And it's got a bunch of endpoints um, already created. So we have, we've got an endpoint for quizzes. So that's going to return all the quizzes that we've got an API endpoint for a quiz. So V1 slash uh, quiz slash, and then the ID of the, the quiz and then we have question so that's v1 question and then the id of the question so the quizzes will return the a collection or a an array of uh, ids of the questions and then you can then get a, a particular question and the question has the answer or all the answers and then the correct answer in that too. So that's what we're going to be using to generate the website and the mobile app. And this will also be hooked into the how to code well .net platform eventually when that's all rigged up. So when someone's on a particular course, we can then offer them the code quizzes that relate to that particular programming language or whatever they're uh, learning at the time. So that's really good. And we've had some fantastic contributions already to this project. So thank you ever so much 
on this next stage like i said is going to be moving into the building the website that's going to be using react um, probably next.js so if you're used to that if you've done any of those pieces of work then i'll i'll leave a link in the show notes below if you want to contribute there is i think last time i checked there was about 32 issues and i think the majority of those are like good first issues if you want to pick one of those up uh, it's hacktober month so please do use this as your way of getting into open source okay so that's the code quiz stuff also on howtocodewell.net, there's a couple of things to, to mention. So last week I talked about pre-production and how close we are to that build. We are even closer this time. We've got everything working bar emails. So I need to work through, I think it's just infrastructure configuration about generating emails and, and, and such for things like password resets and all of that jazz. But I'm actually now using actively using pre-production as a means of creating and cur cur I can't say it, curating the content to generate the the courses that we'll eventually have and I'm actually going to be using feature flags to turn off a couple of things that I just don't want to be running straight away things like for example the blog I'm not happy with how the blog looks so I'm going to turn that off things like the books page I'm not happy with that at all so I'm, I'm turning that off so I'm using feature flags and we'll be doing this in say one of the twitch streams I think uh, coming up so some really good uh, progress being made on that once I'm happy with all of this and once we have some decent a decent set of content I'll then push it out to production so that is coming up fairly shortly I believe okay so static apis what are they what is a static API? How do we create a static API? What are the pros and cons of a static API compared to say a dynamic API? What is a dynamic API? And I've also got some links and resources too. Okay, so first of all, what is the static API? A static API is a collection of JSON files or XML files or the data that is sent via the response. That is static, it's already being generated for the request. And these live on the server or the CDN or wherever you're putting them. And they are there, they, they don't get edited, they don't get modified unless they need to. This obviously has a bunch of benefits, which we'll, we'll, we will certainly get into um, shortly. But it does mean though, however, that they are mostly get requests. In fact, they are just get requests because they are read only. APIs. You are reading the data that is offered to you by these static APIs. So they're useful for delivering things like referential data. So we're getting into the why, why would you do this? So they're great for referential data, right? So data that doesn't really change much. So for example, if you've got a list of countries, it's great to have a static endpoint that just returns you a list of countries that rarely ever change. Same with time zones things like that. It's fantastic for data fixtures. So if you had, say, a, a, a bunch of tests that needed to rebuild their test suite, so bring the data into the, to the position that is acceptable to start the test, then you could use a static API to bring in that data on each of those requests. So that's, that's very useful. It's also useful for things that are very read based. So for example, reading a blog, blog articles, podcasts, you can see where I'm going to go in a minute. Other pieces of data that don't actively get changed 
very often. So it's not very good for things for, say, checkouts where you're having to recalculate things on the fly based on how many quantities of X's in a cart, those kind of things. It's not particularly useful for that. It's more useful when you're actually trying to read data that rarely, rarely changes. So you write a blog post, there you go. How many times do you edit that blog post? Not often. You know, you might find a typo down the line and you change that and therefore that triggers a rebuild of that JSON file. But you rarely change it. You rarely you read more than you write to it in terms of the requests. So how do we go and create a static, static API? You might be thinking, oh, this is fantastic. This is, this is really good. How do we go ahead and create one? Well, you would create one, well, the, the basic way of doing it, the very raw way of doing it is to, to create one using just JSON files or XML files and manually create these and put these up onto a server and then allow an endpoint to access those. That would be the very minimal way of doing it. However, that can get obviously out of our hand very, very quickly, especially if you're, you've got a lot of data to offer. And there needs to perhaps be a way of altering and parsing that data and maybe translating that data. So that could be a, a big overhead if you're doing it manually. The best way to do it is to use static site generators. And instead of generating HTML as these static site generators do, generate JSON files. Why not? So things like say Gatsby or you know React or any kind of static site generators, um, there's all sorts for all sorts of different programming languages, all sorts of frameworks have these things. Static site generators generate JSON instead of or XML instead of the HTML or as well as sort of whilst you're doing it, which is very interesting. You want to structure the responses of these things in the same way as you would normally structure an API. So for example, where we've got, say, we were to take the code quiz, for instance, you've got quizzes. So you've got slash quizzes and then you've got slash quiz and then slash ID. So you would have, you would structure it in the same kind of manner. You might have a, a folder for a quiz. You may have a folder for a question, that kind of stuff, right? So we can create a hook every time we generate a piece of content in the static site way, right? To generate the corresponding JSON for that, which means that your static sites, your blogs, your podcasts, all of that stuff could also be generating a public accessible API that uh, you can offer to your audience, which I do recommend people do. And I do know that there are a lot of sites out there that also allow for the URLs to have a .json at the end. And then that turns the whole content of the page into a JSON uh, represented fonts of the content that they're reading, which is very, very useful. So you can uh, essentially change your, your page structure to be an API if you want to. And that's very, very clever. The pros of doing this, of course, is that it's extremely fast to read stuff that has already been pre-generated is extremely fast. And yes, I do appreciate that we could do this through caching when you've got a dynamic API. Let's talk about dynamic APIs in a minute. So yes, it's extremely fast. It's extremely fast to read these things. It's therefore incredibly scalable because all you're doing is pushing up 
JSON files or XML or whatever, whatever the response will be. You're just pushing up those things and those things rarely get changed. So you can push them right to the edge if you want. You can use CDNs, whatever. That is a very cheap and affordable way of hosting your API as well. So you can uh, create something that doesn't use a lot of requests to generate, rebuild those things. Normally as a dynamic API, you might be pulling things from a database or an external data source. And those requests in some cer cer certain circumstances based on certain hosting models are actually um, charged. So for every request that you make, that's a, a charge. So there's none of that because all of that stuff has already been taken care of because during the build phase and the build phase would be triggered whenever something has been updated. And we'll talk about that just in just a moment. It also means that you've got a centralized workflow. It also means that your workflow is in one spot. You're not pulling data from one area and pulling data from another area and saying, there you go. It is in one pot. So it's incredibly fast, incredibly scalable. It's cheaper than traditional dynamic APIs and you end up with a nice centralized workflow. You generate your blog, you generate your API. There you go. So reading data, as I mentioned, is more common than writing data. However, how about hybrid models? Because you can actually have hybrid models. So for instance, you might be uh, writing a blog through a headless CMS that creates a post request to build a markdown static site, right? And then you would have a static API on the other side of that, which would read that. That's perfectly possible. However, just be careful that the more of these files that you're having to rebuild, the slower the build process, you're having to wait for the whole entire build before you actually get that one request. So there is downsides to this. So builds can be slow, and this is something that happens on a scale. So the more you actually have to rebuild, the slower it becomes. However, building JSON files really is fast. So you are not going to see this until you've got tens of thousands of JSON files to rebuild. So this isn't a problem that you need to worry about straight away. And there are ways to mitigate this, which I'll mention in a second. Static APIs are obviously limited to get requests, right? Because they're data based, uh, because they're, sorry, they're reading data that has already been produced. You're not saying I want to rebuild this data. However, as I've just mentioned, you could use a hybrid model. So you could have a dynamically headless CMS that is somewhere that is generating your markdown files or whatever it is that you're generating the JSON files. And then you would have a static API to return that when they've been rebuilt. So security is another issue. Well, is it an issue? Not really. It, it, it's a factor that you have to take into consideration because normally what you would have on a dynamic API is you would, you would be authenticating the requests per request. Whereas with this, you're authenticating the requests on a API gateway level rather than on a request level. So there are alters, alterations that you have to make in terms of your, your authorization and uh, authentication mechanisms. And if, if you're having to deal with multiple ways of doing things when you've got a, a hybrid uh, setup, that might get a little bit tricky. So I have put that in a, the cons list. It really depends on the project. 
And I know that's a really horrible thing to say because you can't really boil that down, but it does. It depends on the project. Low latency is a very key factor as well. This is a con. So as I mentioned, the time it takes to rebuild the JSON, it might be too late. So again, I go back to the example of, let's say you've got a, a checkout and you're placing an order and you decide at the very last minute that you want to update the quantity, which means to, you need to recalculate the tax. You need to recalculate the subtotal, the total, all of that stuff. The delivery could be trigger a, a weight rule that says that now your basket is too heavy for this particular type of delivery. Or maybe you've changed your postcode in the address as well. That, that needs to go off and change, which means that you need to rebuild this, this request. And I have to say, please don't use static APIs for this at all. When you're playing with e-com, these things shouldn't really be stored anywhere. <laughs> Latency is, is a particular issue. So if you're able to post stuff quicker than you are able to read stuff, then that's a, that's a bit of an issue. And often when you do a post request, you're also getting back a response. So if you're having to rebuild that response on the post request, that's a, that can get tr troublesome. So please try and lean on things that are more read heavy rather than write heavy. Okay. So let's talk about dynamic APIs then. So I, I I've, played around with a couple of these things during this talk is what are dynamic APIs. So reading things from a database, reading things to, to reproduce a checkout sort of scenario, all of those kind of things. You need to draw a line in the sand as to what is, what is acceptable for a static API and what is uh, required of a dynamic API. And that is kind of a tricky line to walk sometimes, especially if you're having to update things frequently and you're like, well, why can't I just, why don't I just build this as a dynamic get request? Even though we're going, once the data has been done, you know, we'll probably change that data sort of once every week. And yes, that is with those kind of questions, it's based primarily on speed and cost, how many requests are being made to this get request and how expensive are they and how slow are they? If it is expensive, if they are slow, then perhaps look at using a static API. So where does this leave howtocowell.net? Well, I've already mentioned blogging and I've already mentioned podcasting. So I have my eyes on rebuilding those uh, two areas of howtocowell.net and rebuilding them in a static site. So we would have a static site for the podcast and a stat static site for the blog. This allows me, of course, to have to allow people to contribute to not only the code, but also the content, especially with the blog, say. So if you wanted to be a guest blog blogger and you want to create a guest article, then that should be just the, a case of creating a pull request to say, this is the blog article that I'm going to write or I have done. And then I would review that and then merge that in. So that would be fantastic if the community could get behind that. Same with the podcast. If I could create a, a, a static site, sorry, a static site for the podcast, every episode would be generated statically and then have an API for both the blog and the, the podcast and then use that API to, to rebuild the homepage of the howtocodewell.net, that'd be great. So we would have, say, the latest podcast episode uh, and maybe the latest couple of blog articles on there as headlines. That would be fantastic. But let's talk about how we would generate that 
because this is this is the interesting part. And I mentioned earlier about rebuilding it on the fly. How does that actually work? Well, obviously, if you're using a static site generator, you would use that to trigger the build. But how do you trigger the build? So with the code quiz stuff, I've been leaning very heavily on GitHub Actions. So you could use a GitHub Action to listen to changes, say a merge request, and that would kick off a build if, say, tests have passed. We haven't talked about testing yet. We probably should. Yeah, so once all the tests have passed, uh, once I'm happy with it, I would kick off a build by just pressing the merge button. That would then rebuild the JSON on the fly on wherever the server it, it kind of is. So that might fire off a webhook to go ahead and do that. And there we go. We have our updated API content. When it comes to actually updating the schema of the API, however, this is where we want to perhaps look into things like versioning of that API, like we would just do that with the dynamic API. So when we're altering the schema, when we're changing things about how the data is presented, then maybe we want to change how, you know, we want to version it to make sure that the, the clients, whoever is using it, whatever is using it, are aware that there is a change to the schema and a change to the to the documentation as well. Testing, let's talk about that quickly. So we obviously want to test our, our uh, APIs, obviously. And with the code quiz, what we've been doing is we've been testing not only the API from the Symphony 6 point of view, so making sure that we are actually generating the entities correctly, the database ent entities and doctrine, as well as actually generating a an API request uh, as an integration test to make sure that the responses are correct. So that works from that perspective, but also from the perspective of the API client. So making sure that, well, we have the JSON server, which is our mock API client, because I don't want to be making real life requests from the API client to the API. There needs to be some form of mocking involved. So therefore we have our mocking server. We then have a bunch of of tests to test that mocking server against the generated TypeScript code that comes off of the back of the API and API specification, which is coming from the single source, source of truth, which is our API in our Symphony 6. So that's kind of how you would also do it through a static site, right? So you would generate your, how you would actually create these requests somehow and you would test that out. And you would also test the, re the, the re receiving those requests as well. And using TypeScript, this is very handy to do. I was gonna say easy to, it's not that easy, but it's very handy to do because you're actually generating the, the definitions of say, what is a string, what is a number and all of that stuff. So you're able to enforce the schema and you're in able to enforce what type of data you're actually going to be sent and what you're actually gonna receive, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's how you would test it. You would you would have some form of mocking between uh, the two things, and you would have your single source of the truth generating the specification to that API client, which is what we've done on CodeQuiz. If you want to see how one of those works, check out the link in the show notes below. And if you want to contribute, please do so. I have a bunch of links that I'm going to put down. Uh, there's a good article by Corey Butler about building systems with static APIs. There's another one called WTF is a static API by uh, Sean Davis. I'll put 
uh, Sean Davis, sorry, I'll put links in the uh, show notes below if you're interested in any of this. And of course, I'm going to be doing this on stream. So one day in the next few, I don't know, weeks, we're going to be doing this, building this on either the Twitch or the YouTube stream. So if you're interested, then do watch. And I stream on Sundays and on Tuesdays, Sundays at 14, well, three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Brit British summertime. And also Tuesdays at 6 p.m. British summertime as well. So I hope to see you there. Thank you ever so much for listening and watching. Happy coding, everyone. And I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye bye.